lose everyone? I'm back, baby! It's Jake C. Lee. I'm great! Everybody else sucks! Oh, huh. oh no! It's every nightmare I've ever had! Excuse me? It's time to check the link. Pretty crazy, huh? <laughs> but it doesn't matter because none of this has anything to do with the show. You know what? You just made the list! <laughs> oh, wait, you serious? Let me laugh even harder. It's all in sports. Sure, we talk about it all the time. Really? No. Game on, everybody. It's all in sports. Jake Seeley at All in Kid. You know that. Well, hopefully you know that, but you might not if you're coming from this terrific guest that I have on today. It's been too long since we've talked. Well, we talked in person, but it's too long since we've talked on the podcast. But if you're coming in and you don't know and you want to go to The Athletic, you can still get there. Go to theathletic.com slash all in sports. It's 40% off that draft kit with that code. So make sure you guys are checking that out. And then, of course, there's the other podcasts are over there. But that's enough intro stuff because I want to get to today's guest. It's Jeff Ratcliffe, the award-winning Jeff Ratcliffe. If you haven't listened to his show on SiriusXM, you probably should because this guy just takes an award in basically every single year. But follow him at Jeff Ratcliffe and everything else. You know what, Jeff? I'll let you go and tell everybody what you got going on, what you got coming up, everything pro football focus-wise. That, that's your game. That You tell everybody. Yeah, man. Well, hey, that's a kind introduction. A bit of blind squirrel scenario for me with these awards. But uh, yeah, we're we're on SiriusXM right now. Uh, we, of course, have our podcast as well, the PFF Fantasy Podcast, pff.com. Lots of goodies there. And I'm happy to announce I'll be back on CBS Sports Network on Sunday morning TV. We're doing that other pregame show, Tops. Uh, that's from 8 to noon Eastern in the morning. You don't get fantasy football on a lot of pregame shows, but they uh, they let us talk fantasy a little bit on that show. So definitely check that out. You don't you don't have to do all four hours though, right? Well, I'm there for four hours. I don't have to do all four. I'm, I do. <laughs> I think I do eight segments through the four hours. So uh, four five minute segments and then a couple shorter ones. But we try and flesh out a lot of topics that really you're going to be thinking about in the morning anyway. Like I I remember back in the day before I was doing this, I always loved that. You know, you'd be sitting there stewing over your lineup and, and you'd have whatever <laughs> pregame show on and you're just trying to fight for any piece of information that might give you an edge. Well, that's what I'm trying to do for you on TV. So let me ask you this, because this is you and I have done this for a long time. I've both been you're always up there at the accuracy level of somebody that I'm always keeping my on because they're like, ah, oh, Jess, always there right where right with me or potentially even in front of me some years. Do, do you make sure that is that the 12 that you get that cutoff hour so you can make sure you can update your rankings? Well, you know, the first year I did the show, this is my fourth year on the show. The show actually went till one o'clock, but since we're on CBS Sports Network, they don't want to compete with the CBS pregame show, you know, with uh, with Coach Cower and, and Boomer and those guys, right? So they, they changed it to 12. So it was really tricky that year, but I actually had an incredibly good year that year. Maybe and that's I, the trick. Well, now I'm, I, believe it or not, Jake, so I'm, I'm in New York City for this and I'm driving to the train station so that I can get home to Philadelphia to round out my Sunday and try and watch the four o'clock games. <laughs> so I'm literally updating rankings at the last second at like 1230, 1240 in a car with like a Wi-Fi hotspot. It, it makes things <laughs> really challenging. But you know, if you're a subscriber, like you know, as, as well as I do, like people who follow us, they don't. They don't want our rankings as of like Saturday night. I mean, they want to right up to the to the end there, and that's important stuff. So you know, I get it done, but it does make things really tricky. 
I actually got a ticket on the way home from church one time because <laughs> I improperly changed lanes. And I told him, like, I pulled over. I was like, I'm just being honest. I'm trying to get home as quick as possible. I have work. <laughs> and, then he, and then he goes, uh, well, who should I start my flex? <laughs> no, no, he actually, the funny thing was he's like, he's like I, I, I appreciate your honesty. I won't give you the ticket, but I'll give you one for improper, improper license plate frame or something like that. And I was like, all right, well, at least he at least appreciates that to a level. But all right, let's jump into the good stuff that people have questions about because there's two off the top that don't seem to be clear still to this point. I don't know which team you're on here. I've been on team 100% Zeke's playing week one. Uh, this entire time, I haven't changed. I haven't wavered. If I'm in a draft and I'm at pick number two, I'm still okay taking Ezekiel eight because I could see him being the number one overall player with the questions at all the other opportunities there. So where are you? Are you team Zeke's playing week one? Are you, I have to bake in that risk, but I'll still take him at four. Are you going further than that where you won't even take him till the back half of the first round? Like, where are you on this? Yeah, right now I am team. If it happened once, it could happen again. <laughs> and I learned my lesson last year. And, and thanks to everybody on Twitter for reminding me of where my advice was with Le'Veon Bell. I will never forget that, but uh, yeah. <laughs> well, let's be fair. Hold on. I say this time and again, Jeff. You, I'm probably, I'm sure you probably remember this. Remember, like, everybody was like, oh, he has to play to play, like, get his contract. And all of a sudden we got to week nine and we're like, oh, no, he doesn't. He can still get his extra. Nobody was saying that at the beginning of the season. Yeah. And honestly, I, I just thought, well, you're making like a million dollars a week, you know, like that. <laughs> that's going to be tough when those game checks don't get deposited, but it happened. And what I don't like about this situation with Elliot is it's not getting better, you know, and I, I didn't expect like, oh, you know, Jerry Jones to go out and say that he is the, the most wonderful person on the planet and we can't win without him or anything like that. But, you know, the Zeke who thing was a little bit concerning. The, the Tony Pollard stuff, which, you know, maybe we'll get into in a little bit. I, I have some questions about as well. So I, right now, if I'm heading into this weekend, and Saturday is most likely for a lot of people out there, it's the biggest fantasy draft day of the year. Uh, most people are, you know, having their home league drafts, putting stickers on boards and backyards, you know, all that good stuff. If I'm at the tail end of the first round, then yes, I, I don't think I can let him slide any further. And the reason why that is, is I know I have a little bit of safety there in, in that back end that I'm still going to get a guy who's very likely, you know, a top 15 guy on my board. If I'm at two and I take Zeke, it slides back to me. There's a good chance that the remaining top 10 running backs are off the board. So now if Zeke doesn't play, if he does play, I'm good. But if he doesn't play, now I'm, I'm leaving myself a little bit thin at running back. In home leagues, I don't like to do that. So that's why I'm not high on him there. And I'm going to let him slide by me until I get into that back end. So, you know, 10, 11, 12, I think you're fine. But any earlier than that, it just feels too risky for me. And certainly, see, and the one that's even worse than that, and we really weren't going to talk about it, but let's just tie it in anyway, because people still have to make the decision. Although I think there's even more concern, in my opinion, like if we said, if we were doing scales out of a 10, I think Melvin Gordon now at this point kind of feels like a nine out of 10 that he's not playing until week 11 for the whole, oh no, wait, they have their buy in week 12. So week, uh, either way, that point, are you Melvin Gordon fifth round six? Like at what point is Melvin Gordon worth the cost to you? Yeah, my breaking point right now is mid-fourth. I'm going to adjust that on Friday as we head into the weekend just to, you know, I'll probably end up doing a post for it over at PFF. But just to solidify some of these weird situations, like where's the breaking point? I think if I was literally drafting today, it would be mid-fourth. His ADP is in the mid-third, though. So he typically is not getting yeah. to the point where I'm willing to take him. But it's definitely a messier situation. And really the key there is the age factor. He's 
He's 26. You know, Zeke's younger. Zeke's actually basically the same age as Gurley was last year when he got his contract. And Gordon is basically the same age as Le'Veon Bell last year. So different situations, and I'm really not optimistic. And we know the Chargers will play hardball. We've seen it in the past with this team. I don't think that, you know, he's, he's waiting by the phone. I don't think that phone call is coming. <laughs> yeah, we've seen. I mean, Bosa. I mean, just recently, we've seen this time and again with, with rookies that they they have you have you treated and they take that hard line stance. So you're definitely right. Uh, I actually I'm fifth. So there's Melvin Gordon hasn't even sniffed one of my teams. So I, I certainly understand that. But you, let's talk about Tony Pollard because we're going to talk about it later. But he ties in right now very well. Uh, Tony Pollard is interesting, and if people go over to Pro Football Focus and read your column about buyer beware. I'm glad you said the same thing. We're, we're, on, we're lockstep on this. We're lockstep on the fact that, look, well, maybe not the first part, but definitely the second part. Tony Pollard's looked great. There's no question about it. He's looked great this preseason. We've seen people in the preseason look great before and then do nothing in the regular season. Again, it's all context of who you're playing with, who you're playing against, all that type of stuff. But as of right now, it looks like if we had to place a bet today, like Tony Pollard would be the guy if Zeke is out. But as you point out, and this is where I'm with you, there's a lot of factors here including Alfred Morris was brought in that people still seemingly just have dismissed since it ever happened. Mike Weber was drafted. Darius Jackson's shown flashes. But the biggest one that you point out, and I'm so glad about this, is like Tony Pollard, 139 carries in three years at Memphis. I, 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 that's got to be concerning. So a pro football reference, well, whatever they call the, the college version of that. Right. They actually list him as a wide receiver for a couple seasons at Memphis. It's like two of the three seasons, I think, he's listed as a wide receiver. He did a ton of work as a wide out, or as a receiver, I should say, and he was a ridiculously good kick, a kick returner. But, all right, so here's the thing. He wasn't used very heavily, but he did share the field with Daryl Henderson. My initial take on this, my read was, this guy's a passing down back. He's going to contribute in that area. They don't want Zeke to have that many catches like he did last year just because of wear and tear, and the team does have some playoff aspirations. Then I watched the preseason game, and I watched it closely, and I saw Dak Prescott play 13 snaps. And on those 13 snaps, there was only one running back on the field, and it was Tony Pollard. Then in the next series, Mike, Mike White comes out, and that's when Alfred Morris came on the field. Pollard played one snap, a couple snaps later with White, but that was it. So Pollard was the exclusive every down back with Dak Prescott in the first team offense on the field. That to me was very telling. You know, as much as I want to say, like my evaluation on him is that he's a pass catcher. I'm a fantasy analyst. I don't work. I'm not a scout. I'm not a general manager. I'm not a coach. And we know these guys sometimes see things differently. Now, sometimes when you get these like Jerry Jones, we you know Zeke who, and we really like Pollard, and then we hear Jason Garrett talking him up. Sometimes that's just lip service with coaches. But in this instance here, when we read between the lines, we look at the usage. Pollard is actually like it's matching up. They really like him. It's really interesting to me. I think you know, you now have to look at him as a viable late round guy. Whereas uh, even a few days ago, I may not have said that. And that's certainly uh, it's something to be considered. This is what we see every single preseason. These kind of things will change. But here's another one. One of the things that have changed by the day is Antonio Brown. Look, uh, I don't even know what to make of this. Nobody does because Antonio Brown is just crazy. I mean, the, you got to understand why the Steelers were like, you know what? We're done with this nonsense because everything was going on with the feet and then the helmet and then oh, everything's fine. I'm happy to be with this team. Oh, no, I'm going to file a grievance. And then that gets dismissed. And it's like, all right. He shows up to the team. He's on the sidelines. And then, oh, no, I'm going to file another grievance. And then everything's fine. He shows up at practice yesterday with a helmet in hand. Oh, there's still something coming down on Friday. 
if you're in the draft, we know Antonio Brown can finish as a top five wide receiver, no matter what team he's with. But similar to Zeke, similar to Melvin Gordon, similar to all these situations, where's your cutoff point where you're willing to absorb that risk? I kind of feel like his might be third, maybe even second round because of his ceiling as a top five. And But at the same time, he just feels insane. Like, I, I can't put a finger on knowing what Antonio Brown, the person, is going to do. Yeah, you know, and we got some insight from Hard Knocks on this one that I, I you know, when Gr- John Gruden says, hey, we've known about this since OTAs, it's like, can you guys give us a little more heads up, just <laughs> a little tiny bit? But, you know, the the whole situation, he wants to wear that helmet. They thought they had a, a loophole where if, it w- if the helmet wasn't 10 years old, then it would pass. It did not pass. They're going to try again. He's using a certified helmet in practice, but... Brown is the type of player where would we be, be that surprised if, if he doesn't win this grievance on Friday that he just says, all right, screw it, I'm not playing. Like That could legit happen, which I guess would, would help us on drafts on Sunday but I don't, or Saturday, but I don't think that's going to happen. We're not going to have that information. So my breaking point with him because of the volatility is the mid-third round. Puts him about wide receiver 10, 11, 12. At that point, you know, you're, you're taking that risk to get that potential upside. But that being said, like if I drafted Zeke at the end of the first round <laughs> and then Brown's there at like the end of the third round for me, I might have to pass on Brown just because like I can't load up with too many risky guys. It just becomes too volatile at that point. No, I figured out your first four rounds for you, Jeff. You go Zeke and then you followed up with, uh, who, who could we put in the second round? That's as bad. Oh, four net, then Antonio Brown. Then Melvin Gordon in the third, in the fourth round. There you go. There's your first four and, picks. And How AJ Green in the fifth round. Oh, they, they, so, yeah, that's another. And I'll good take, one. I'm going to take Andrew Luck in the eighth. <laughs> this is terrific. I love this team. You're going to be focused on baseball like I am. You can just say <laughs> October. It's like, yeah, baseball time again. All right. Let's talk about another wide receiver. Another wide receiver, immense talent, but immense issues as well as Josh Gordon. Like they, everybody knows, reinstated. He's going to be on the Patriots. The biggest question is for how long? I don't know. Like, I know how to a degree you do your projections. We're not all that dissimilar in our base ideas. So what my question really, is, I guess, is going to be, I projected him for only 10 games. Where did you draw the line? Because there's no way on earth I'm projecting Josh Gordon for 16 games. Yeah, I put 14 games in. Maybe I was a little optimistic. Um, you know, it's tough to say, you know, 16 games. Yeah, absolutely. I want to see this guy turn a corner. I really, for me, it's always more, about these people as human beings in their lives. Like there are things that are more important than fantasy football. And and so you ultimately want to see everybody doing well. I would love to see that happen this year for fantasy though, because I'm going to be greedy as in addition. Cause we know even in this offense, which is decidedly more run heavy, he can still be a factor. I mean, last year, 18 yards per catch. And that was with him learning the offense, which we know is notoriously difficult, but the team showed they got him in. And they almost immediately got him into a basically an every down role. I'm willing to take a risk with him as my third receiver, though. You know, that's that's the that's the breaking point for me with him. Because I know then very likely I, I just had a draft over the weekend at the Kings Classic where I took Josh Gordon out. It was a 14 teamer, but I took him in the fifth round industry league. So, you know, it's a little bit different there. You have to sometimes be aggressive and pick your spots. But I took him after already taking uh, Keenan Allen and Cooper Cup. So Keenan Allen, uh, you know, certainly a high floor PPR guy and Cooper Cup, if he stays healthy, kind of in that same bucket, then I'm able to swing for the fences with Gordon with my with my uh, third wide receiver spot. In home league, I'm probably more like look more looking at six round. I think that's where he's ultimately going to go. 
and it is a tone setter. There's a Jake, there's psychology to this as well. You know, <laughs> you, you have to sometimes make those statements. I would say sexy picks don't win you fantasy leagues, but sometimes a pick like that does get into your opponent's head if they were looking at him in the same range and you're able to swoop in and grab him off the board. But I really wouldn't go any higher than that. Yeah, it's, see, that's the thing is I feel like some home leagues, especially if you happen to be in the Northeast, I feel like you're going to get a smattering of maybe even third rounds. Yeah. Josh Gordon is just, I feel like, yeah, I'm with you. That's where I actually, when I slotted him in and finished my projections, obviously a little bit behind you because you have him for more games, but he basically sandwiched in between Watkins and Sterling Shepard as wide receiver 35. Maybe a bit low. Obviously, if he plays 14 games, that's going to be low. But I'm with you. I just the biggest thing is I want him as my wide receiver three because that's yep. where you've built enough to c- compensate for if he only plays four games and decides to quit again or has other problems. And we are we're all rooting for him. So let's talk about another passing game. Let's talk about a passing game for a team that oh my god could not have gone any worse. But on top of that, Jeff. There's been mixed messages every single day, seemingly, on who's going to be the wide receivers. Now, for context, because you and I didn't talk about this at the draft, and I haven't talked to you, so you don't know, but for everybody out there, I've been very like uh, bearish on the 49ers. I've been very much the fact that the only receiver I like is Debo Samuel, just because I love him as a route runner. And the only person I really want besides that are Tevin Coleman and George Kittle, because I keep bringing up the fact that, like, assuming Garoppolo is 100%, he still hasn't spent an entire season with all these weapons, all of them, including George Kittle. We still haven't seen Garoppolo look amazing or even great for a full season. There's so many questions that I feel like everybody was just playing. It's not injury optimism, just team optimism. Are Were you in on upside for this, specifically like Dante Pettis was inside the top 30 and now he's falling back because he might not even be a starter? Or are you like, hey, let's chill out. It's one game. It's this first game back from this injury. There's still a lot of potential here. Well, I'm not worried about a couple series in the preseason. Uh, you, you keep hearing negative things, though. The practice where he threw five straight interceptions, that doesn't bode particularly well. It does sound like Kyle Shanahan's going to be patient with him, and, and I think that's what, we, what they need right now, just shake that rust off a little bit. But I haven't been attacking this, this offense too much. Like you, you mentioned Debo. I have a couple shares of him in later rounds. I love the fact that we're seeing him, you know, with these runs as well. Just shows yeah. the athleticism that he has and a little bit more speed in pads than I thought he was going to show, which is a good thing. The Jalen Hurd hype obviously calmed down after the initial uh, uh, breakout preseason contest. But I, I'm with you. Tevin Coleman is intriguing to me, especially if McKinnon doesn't make it back from the field. It looks like, you know, that's still up in the air. Uh, but he's appealing. George Kittle just goes a little bit too early for my my liking at the tight end position, even with that third round price tag that he's typically at at this point. Uh, so I, I don't find myself getting a lot of shares of this, unfortunately. The one guy I will say is the Marquise Goodwin. If you're expecting a, a rehash or you know, you're expecting him to to go back to where he was, I, I really just don't see that happening. He was sort of forced into that role just because there was nobody else there. And there's, you know, some of these situations, I I like to say, somebody has to catch the ball. Well, he was that somebody for that period of time. (laughs) So I would look to fade him. And by the way, just a little shout out to the greatest preseason player in NFL history, Raheem Mostert with another big preseason (laughs) performance. This guy is a preseason god. He is, and he's locked into this team, according to the reports, because if nothing else, he has his special team role, and he's not going there. Like Initially, as you mentioned, McKinnon being hurt clears everything up. But two weeks ago, three weeks ago, there was the report that, hey, Coleman, obviously probably not him, but McKinnon or Brita 
might be inactive because Juszczyk isn't going anywhere in his role and Mostert's too good in the special team. So it was going to come down to that. So all this stuff kind of clears up. But let's talk about another offense. And this is and obviously these are all the ones that are on the hot button. The top, you said there's a big draft coming up this weekend, big draft weekend, I should say. And it's the Arizona Cardinals offense, who two weeks ago, if you were drafting, was, oh, my God, Kyler Murray is going to be a top five quarterback. Everybody's losing their mind, running naked down the streets. And then week two happens, and all of a sudden, people are running naked down the streets in panic, though. They're crying and screaming, and, oh, my God, everything's falling apart. This team is miserable. This is another one. This isn't to backtrack, but I want to give you, Jeff, specifically context. Is This is another one where I haven't had a lot of pieces of the Cardinals offense except for Christian Kirk because I've been, whatever you want to call it, quote-unquote team or whatever, I've been this saying that I don't like David Johnson as the consensus number five running back. If you want to take him there, I'm okay with it. If you want to take Kyler Murray as a top 10 quarterback, I'm okay with it. I'm not doing either because of what we saw was the biggest issue, is the offensive line. It's not just the offensive line. It's the fact that we're all assuming Cliff Kingsbury, rookie quarterback, rookie wide receivers, a one coming off an injury, all this stuff is just going to click and work in the NFL, where do people have already forgotten what happened with Chip Kelly's first year trying to make things work in there? There was some explosive, oh my God, look how many plays they're running and everything. But there was also a very big downside that turned around real quickly and had everybody going, oh my God, this isn't going to work in the NFL. So where are you on the Cardinals? You know, what's fascinating is I didn't actually have to move my ranking on Kyler Murray as some people did because I was I've had him at 12 for a long time. And the 12 is a statement. It's basically saying, like, if you draft him in this range, you have the potential to, you know, to land a, a QB one for fantasy, a top 12 guy. You also have a guy who could be outside of that and it could be pretty darn bumpy along the road. I think that um, when sometimes when people for fantasy purposes, especially when you're talking like July into early August, they look at everything, you know, through these, um, you know, rosy colored, rose colored glasses. Like they, they see like the best possible outcome. And certainly Cliff Kingsbury, this is within the range of outcomes. He could come in, he could be, you know, brilliant, you know, and, and this offense could completely turn around from last year. They could also be a complete train wreck. Like all of that and every, everything in between is on the table for this year. So I think we have to just make sure we're looking at this appropriately. And, and a range of outcomes is much more effective than just this is the outcome, as a lot of people tend to do. So with that offense, I agree with you. That offensive line is going to be a big-time problem for Kyler. He has escapability. But as the Raiders showed in the preseason, that's not going to work all the time. If you scheme right for it, you're going to have some problems. The wide receiver situation, I agree with you. Kirk's really the only guy that I've been targeting. And especially now this news about uh, Hakeem Butler, that that stinks. I would have loved to have seen him on the field. Hopefully that changes, but it doesn't sound like – this doesn't sound good for his rookie season. The David Johnson thing, though, blows my mind. And this is where fantasy players are so fickle. <laughs> In February, I you would have thought – I mean, man, you would have thought I said some messed up stuff on Twitter when I said David Johnson was not a bust in uh, 2018. <laughs> I got hate tweeted like no other – and the reality is David Johnson was the number nine fantasy running back and number number 11 in points per game. Sure, it was up and down, but consistency often is a mirage in fantasy football. And yeah. the fact of the matter is you were able to play him. Like, he wasn't Terrell Pryor in 2017, a third-round pick who you could not even start. You could start David Johnson and it was up and down. Now those same people who are hate-tweeting me are drafting they're asking me if he should be the number one like should I draft him ahead of uh Saquon Barkley 
It's like, where, how did this happen? How did we get to this point? I agree with you. He's a little bit dicey in that range. That's why I don't like picking in that range of drafts. I almost rank him there by default because I kind of have to because nobody else fits it. And I'm not going to put Connor ahead of him. I'm not going to put Mixon ahead of him. It's just, I, I don't, I have, I did finally get a share of him in a redraft league. And I, that's, that's where I'm going to cap it at just to see what happens here. But I got him at the right value. Otherwise, it's a situation that could be pretty bumpy from week to week. It's certainly. It's just, it's funny how much these things change in a few months. You're, you're 100% right. So let me ask you, you didn't mention one name there that maybe you're taking in front of him or maybe not. It's Le'Veon Bell. And it's Le'Veon Bell because he's an interesting situation is, yes, as a Saquon Barkley owner, you're sitting there going, good, Giants. I'm glad you're not playing him even in week two. Just make sure he's healthy for week one. Who, what does Saquon Barkley need to show us on the field? On the flip side, we can say that about Le'Veon Bell and say, good, he's going to be healthy for week one. But at the same time, it's, hey, he's on a new team. He hasn't played, which will be essentially almost two years when it comes to week one. Does that concern you at all? Or are you comfortable with, hey, it's Le'Veon Bell, man. And at least the offense looks good even without him. So I'm fine with Le'Veon Bell even in front of David Johnson. I am. Uh, you know, now I have said this numerous times, though. In 100 drafts, let's say I do 100 drafts, I'm faced with that decision of uh, Bell or Johnson. I probably go Bell about 60, 65 times. You know, okay. 30, 35 times with Johnson. Uh, but when faced with, if I only have to, to make the decision once, which I did in the Flex League, I did take Bell. And uh, people are saying, wow, you're crazy high on Bell. Well, it's not that I'm crazy high on Bell. It's that there's that pocket of the draft that I absolutely hate. And I, my one of my main objectives is getting one of my top 10 running backs. And if I'm at 1-5, there's no guarantee, especially if four running backs are already off the board, there's no guarantee that I get one of those coming back to me if I go with Hopkins. So that's typically why I've gone that route. Now, a lot of people will say, I don't like Bell because of Gates. Now, I think that is a sports talk radio argument like, <laughs> if I've ever heard one. Because here's the thing. Uh, Kenyon Drake was the number 14 PPR running back last year, and his head coach was Adam Gates. And as Kenyon Drake as Kenyon Drake is, that should tell us something right there. Like, it was not a steady season. We know that. But, hey, if we're going to make that argument, I, I don't think that really fits. Bell is a much better player. And plus, he's not in a situation where the team's not going to trust him in early downs like last year with Drake. They didn't trust him. They brought in Frank Gore. That was why. I mean, the team told us that without telling us that. This year, you know, you're looking at a backup as a guy wearing the number 88. <laughs> like, that should tell you something as well. This is going to be Le'Veon Bell's show. High floor with the volume, and then plus he's not going to be game script dependent because he's such a good pass catcher. See, and that's where I go back to the fact that, like, let's circle back to Tony Pollard real quick, is that the people who are out there, well, if Ezekiel Elliott signs, he's done so much that I could see Tony Pollard having standalone value. No, you don't have somebody like Zeke and have somebody like Le'Veon Bell and take touches away from him just because somebody else looked good. Absolutely, and some of these running backs just need that volume. I mean, hey, Derrick Henry showed us at, at the end of the season last year. If you get, imagine this: if you get a monster of a human being who plays running back for you, uh, twenty touches, he'll do a lot better than if he has uh, ten touches. I mean, imagine <laughs> that. So these guys, they they work that way. That's the that's the way that running backs have always been. When you're a bell cow guy, like you feed off of that, and Bell is that, you know. And and I, I don't mind him in that range. I think people are going to ultimately change his tune. And the good news, even though he's 27, he's basically 26 because he has that extra year of rest on his body, which certainly yeah. helps. A good comparison, if people want context and just not to go back too far, 
But you're going to go back to like the Chip Kellys and the Eagles and all that. Remember when DeMarco Murray and the Eagles tried to make him a part-timer and in a different role and all that? Like, no, they they, they ruined DeMarco Murray that year. So, all right, let's talk about another big decision. You joked about it earlier. You said Andrew Luck in the eighth round. Mm -hmm. And it's not a joking matter right now because, yes, there's a little bit of positive news finally on Andrew Luck and the fact that he was in pregame warm-ups practicing a little bit before preseason week two. Obviously, week three is coming here we might see something during their game or pre before the game where it says, Hey, you know, Andrew look looks really good. Everything's clicking. Everything's fine. But people probably have to draft before that happens. Jeff, Andrew luck. What are you doing with him? Now I'll give you my, they'll go back to the games situation is before preseason week two when it's preseason week one, where it's who knows he's ready for week one, who knows what's going on with his ankle and then his calf and then his foot. And then there's one thing after another. And the team sounds inept talking about, Oh, they keep trying all these things since March and still have no idea. I took out six games just because I wanted to bake in that much risk. Now for the fact that he was out there with warmups in pregame two, I said, okay, I'll bake in three games of risk now. Are you baking in any games? Or are you drafting Andrew Luck, T.Y. Hill, and Marlon Mack, the rest of this team, as everything is fine and he's going to be out there for week one? Or what, I guess really the, the overall question is, what are you doing with this in this team? So I, I just baked in two games uh, as of okay, right Okay, so we're now. pretty close. Yeah, pretty close. But the, the scenario, you know, if I'm learning anything from watching all these shows, like, all or nothing, we learned that Cam Newton's shoulder, it really was bothering him significantly earlier than we saw the drop-off in his performance, which really, you know, it tailspinned at the end of the season. We just heard from John Gruden. They knew about this uh, helmet thing since OTAs. The Colts know what's freaking going on. They're just <laughs> not telling us, right? And we've been through this song and dance with them before. And, you know, speaking of being wrong, I was dead wrong in 2017 over Andrew Luck. I said, hey, if he's not pupped, then we're in the clear. We can draft him in, you know, as the 10th or 11th quarterback. You know, you figure you you don't have him for September and then you're good. Well, that didn't happen. So learning my lesson yet again, even though this isn't as serious of an injury, it doesn't sound like it. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Right? You have to expect him to miss time, especially if he's not practicing this week. This was really the bread and butter week. And I talked to, on the SiriusXM show, I talked to Adam Kaplan, who was there with Chris Ballard. And Chris Ballard told Adam Kaplan, listen, if he doesn't make significant progress, then we're not going to get him on the field. He hasn't made significant progress. So that would tell me week one, almost out of the question. I'm not a reporter. I'm not an NFL insider, but I'm trying to read the tea leaves. So I have to look at him, you know, now back in the back end of the quarterback ones, because in that range, again, it's like the Kyler thing. You're making a play for upside, but you have to realize there's also going to be downside there as well. And if you go that route, you should pad yourself with somebody, I would say, safer, like the Kirk Cousins of the world as a, a guy who's going to get you through some time without luck. And then you have that possible home run in a guy. Hey, if luck's fully healthy, I think he's firmly in the top three and could very well compete for that number one spot at the position if we see the expected regression from Patrick Mahomes. But, you know, obviously we can't guarantee the health. All right, so real quick before we get to our final team offense and all that type of stuff, I just want to bring this up because it's happening while we're recording this podcast. And I want to get the initial, maybe you brought, you already talked about this again, listen to him on Sirius XM. Please listen to Jeff in the show. It's award-winning show. Maybe you already talked about this. I'm just seeing it now, I, I, only because it came through my timeline, is the Eagles and the report on Nelson Aguilar, Jeff, quote, that he's looked the most impressive receiver of the team and will have a significant part in the offense. Initial Jeff Ratcliffe reaction when you see something like that in the preseason. 
beat writers are not fantasy analysts. <laughs> you know, everybody who keeps asking me why I have DJ Moore ahead of Curtis Samuel, this, you know, the exact same thing. Beat writers are there. They see guys who stand out, but they're not doing And By the way, if a beat writer ever gives you a projection, don't listen to it. If a coach ever gives you a projection, don't listen to it. They're not in that, in, in that area. That's what we do. And hey, if Aguilar is standing out, then he's doing a nice job out of the slot. Uh, no worries about him. He's going to be the slot receiver. You know, like, there's no, no ifs, ands, or buts about this. So great. He's playing well. He's not even a late round target for me because think about it. Zach Ertz going to lead the team in targets. Very likely Alshon next. Very likely uh, Deshaun after that. Then does Miles Sanders, is he neck and neck with Aguilar? Or is Aguilar neck and neck with Dallas Goddard? I mean, there's not a lot of meat on the bone there. So, I, I mean, it's a great story. Their job is to report on the team, but their job isn't to analyze fantasy. I'm with you 100%. It's just it's fun watching these come through, and then you get that one- to two-hour Twitter reaction that's always fun to watch. All right, so last one I want to talk about with you is the Seahawks. And the Seahawks have a ton of questions, and it starts at running back. I, I mean, honestly, you, you can pick where it starts because it starts at every damn position. We have the running backs. We have Chris Carson, who, when healthy, has performed as a borderline RB1. We have Rashad Penny, who, uh, whether you're a fan of his or not, Pete Carroll has said, He's going to be involved more so this year because even if you go down to the wide receiver situation, there's no Doug Baldwin. There's a ton of opportunity in that game. Tyler Lockett's going to be asked to be the number one. DK Metcalf, the rookie wide receiver, has his own questions and is now hurt. And then you have Jerron Brown and David Moore and just questions, 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 questions. Let's start at the quarterback, Jeff. Are you completely off of Russell Wilson just because of everything around him? There's so many questions. Or do you think he's actually turned into a value this year? He's a crazy value. I mean, people are avoiding him like you wouldn't believe. I th- I did it again. So I did it in the Flex League where I, tr- I drafted him as a late-round option. I was able to do the exact same thing in the Kings Classic, which was 14 teams as well. More teams makes quarterback just a little bit more valuable. And I still was able to play chicken with the draft, wait until the end, and grab Russell Wilson. What I like about him is he likes to throw to the end zone. You know, last year he was second in the league in end zone throws with 48. Ben Roethlisberger led the league with 50. And Russell Wilson had, you know, it was like over 200 fewer passing attempts than than Big Ben last year. The year before that, he was second in the league in end zone throws. I mean, he, he loves to throw to the end zone. That efficiency in that area of the field bodes well. And the fact that you really don't have to pay for him right now, I'm still on him. Okay. Fair enough. So let's move to the next position. Let's talk about the running backs. Chris Carson, I have as my RB15. And granted, that might be a little bit too optimistic given his health situation. But that's also including Rashad Penny as an RB3 just because I think there's going to be a situation here where you saw the quote, and this is another one you could have fun with the preseason, but you saw the quote saying they see this backfield as mimicking the Saints. I don't think it'll be that good where it's Kamara and Mark Ingram to that level. And I actually think the roles are reversed where Ingram would be the lead. That's Carson being the lead. But I think there's enough here where Carson could be in high end RB2 and Penny a legitimate RB3, obviously more so in PPR. Are you on that same page? Uh, Sort of. Um, You know, in order for that to happen, you would have to have these guys essentially splitting reps, you know, at least like 60-40 or something like that with the first team offense. And Russell Wilson played 19 snaps in this second preseason game. Carson was on the field for 15 of those 19 and Penny for just four. And two of those four were because Carson lost his shoe. That to me does not say a committee backfield. That says 
wow, Chris Carson, every down guy. Now, granted, it's a small sample size, but you would figure that they would have tried to get some extra work in there with Penny since they only had so few reps with the first team. I think you're spot on with Carson, and that's higher than a lot of people are ranking him. And I think that's probably where we should be ranking him in that 15, 16, 17 range. Uh, we have seen his ADP move up, but if you're getting Carson in the fourth round with the potential for volume, yes, the injury concern is there, but I really like that. Now, there is a lot of meat on the bone, and I still think you can be viewing Penny as an RB3. You just may have to be a little bit patient with him. Like, if you're anticipating being able to flex him out in September, I don't know if that's going to be the case, but I still love his premium handcuff value, and I love all the meat, and the meat on the bone in that run offense. Okay, so then let's finish things off and talk about the passing offense. Uh, there's a couple questions. I'm going to throw all of them at you at once, Jeff. So one is, Tyler Lockett, is he being underrated because the volume alone should have him over 100 targets? He's going to be the number one? Or are you concerned that maybe he's not equipped to be the number one? And then after that, speaking of numbers, who is the number two? Is it DK Metcalf is he's he if he's healthy? And is he really only a touchdown option given the limitations we all know at this point? Are you a David Moore fan? Are you a Jerron Brown fan? Are you anything on this team after Lockett? Well, Lockett is definitely being underestimated. He's a stud. When he was coming into the league, he was one of our highest graded players. Our analysts absolutely loved him at the college level. And, you know, we saw him even have that, that really devastating injury earlier in his career. But then last year, Flash, now... The touchdown efficiency has to regress, but with the volume increase, I mean, yeah, he's being underestimated. I love taking him for, especially if you're looking for big-time juice, big-time upside out of a guy, I love taking him. Now, the number two option is going to be tricky. I do think it's ultimately DK. It's a scope, so I'm not really worried about the knee surgery issue. He should. I wouldn't even be surprised if he's out there in week one. The challenge is going to be consistency and volume. With this offense, if we see, you know, if we saw over 500 passes, I think that's that's a good season for us. Like that's somewhat optimistic. If we're under 500, you know, I hope we get close to 500 passing attempts. Even there, if you're talking uh, 15, 16, 17 percent target share for DK Metcalf, it's very different than if he was playing for say the the Steelers. You know, that's that's right. a lot of targets you take off the off the table. So you're just hoping for touchdown upside. I can't really get behind drafting him in the later rounds when there are other guys in that same range who have the potential to see more volume. I'm 100% with you on that. And hopefully, as if people haven't been paying attention to this entire episode, hopefully you're 100% on board with listening to Jeff and following him at Pro Football Focus and at Jeff Ratcliffe and for a serious XM show. And once again, I know we did it at the top, but remind everybody, it may be something you got coming out so people have stuff to look forward to on the site. Oh, yeah, we are doing some ADP movers and shakers coming up here soon. But also, this is a good one. So you've heard some of these snap uh, counts that I've been looking at. Yes. I'm able to dive deep into this. So on Tuesday of next week, I'm going to do it for as many of these questionable backfield situations as possible. We know that third preseason game, that's the true dress rehearsal, even though some teams now aren't playing their starters like at all. But still... I'm going to dive into some of these backfield situations, see what the snaps tell us, and then we'll use that for fantasy intel purposes. Wow, that's, uh, I'm going to look for that one. And that's not just like trying to play up to Jeff. I'm 100% always interested in seeing stuff like that. So until next time, appreciate you guys listening. Make sure, again, you're following Jeff and give him some love. A, a great mind, one of the best in the business. And I'll be back next Wednesday, as always. Appreciate you guys. Have a good one.